Amen. Hey, thank Danny, if you would, and Raina. Yep. They're glad to spend some time with us apart from their home church, Mission Hills. And uh, the band was so uh, good today. But, you know, really, there was one member that was especially anointed. Uh, really great to have Paul Lassard back with us. Give Paul a hand. Uh, you, you might remember uh, Paul and Rebecca moved to Chicago some time ago, but they've recently made a move back to Colorado because Colorado, right? <laughs> I mean, why would anybody want to live in Chicago? Well, he didn't. He didn't. And as soon as he had a chance to come back, that's what he did. He came back, he came back home. And we're glad that you're here. And uh, if you don't know Paul's name, then he was the second uh, lead pastor of, of Castle Oaks Church here. And we're grateful for the years of ministry and time and foundation that he laid for this body that we are building on today. And so this is our 20th anniversary year. And when we made plans for our 20th anniversary celebration, we, you know, we didn't counter in the, the pandemic. So uh, some things have changed and you've seen some of the advertising or maybe notes in the e-news. Just pay attention and keep watching and we'll continue to try to work our celebration in as soon as time allows. Uh, but we'll celebrate a little bit in the fall, uh, in October, with some special things happening on a, a given Sunday, and that date's in the e-news as well. How about the Duranis? That's very good. Great to see. So Balin, Balin came out. He's all ready. The girls are still getting ready? They're doing their makeup, I see. Okay. All right. You didn't put your makeup on? Okay. Good for you. Come out just like that. Just, just as it is. Hey, one thing I need you to know uh, as we celebrate so many things today, next Sunday, we will not be having church in here, okay? We'll, and we won't even have it Sunday morning. I know it feels a little, I mean, Sunday morning will happen and you'll have this guilt that will set in by noon. Um, but you can just hold it off because you'll get to pay your dues on Sunday night. And so, not literal dues, but um, worship in the park next Sunday, August 23rd. 6.30 p.m. Is, is when church will happen. We're doing it over at Miller Park in the amphitheaters, in the back of the park. And uh, we did this last year. We, we hope that you make some time in your Sunday, your weekend, to come and join us. At 4 o'clock, a lot of folks will be showing up to picnic and hang out. There'll be some food trucks there. You can bring your own food if you, if you uh, would prefer. Uh, there's all kinds of things to do at the park. I mean, there's a lot of play, playgrounds. I hear Josh Parmenter is going to be climbing the incline up and down all afternoon, just getting ready for worship. And so we'll have to, we just go over there and watch that if you want. Um, but we hope that you come. It's, and if you're online, uh, that service that we have uh, on Sunday night will not be online. We hope you can come out and make it to that service. Uh, but if you can't, we'll catch up with you next week, two weeks from today. Um, but that Sunday will give you a chance to maybe have some church experience around some people while you remain a little socially distant and uh, wear a mask if you like, if you prefer. Um, so we would love to see you. That'd be great. But odds are you can come and have church and still be a good six feet away from people. Um, as we're trying to navigate all of the things that are happening, school starts this week for some people, uh, sort of, right? Does it feel like a sort of? Um, we're not sure kind of what's happening. The fall is coming. When we started this experience back in you know, February, and especially it really launched hard into March as we're watching the world experience this this COVID-19, we thought, well, you know, we'll be fine by Easter. Around Easter, we thought, you know, we'll be fine by summer. We'll be back to normal. And 
here we are starting another school year. Did you even, uh, in your wildest imagination, fathom that the school year would start and we would still be scratching our heads and wondering what's around the corner and, and is, it, is it next year now? Is it, what's, what's happening? And as I talk with people, not just in the early stages of this, but in the middle stages and especially now, I don't even know, we don't even know what stage we're in, right? We have no idea. We could be, let's hope, we'll just say we're near the end. Let's just think positive. As I've talked with people and, and, and hear their conversations about their work and their life and their marriage, their hopes, and their plans, their vacations, and their dreams. I hear all kinds of emotions. And when I hear those emotions, I just brainstormed a few the other day. I don't know if any of these would apply to you. So just maybe take a look at the screen, and you can see them on the big screen as well. I, I wonder if any of these feelings, I wonder if you've had them. I, I would say the most significant one that I've seen most people deal with is this, this one right here, weary. This idea that I'm just, I'm just tired of this. I, I don't want to be going through this anymore. I, and maybe as time wore on, your weariness got deeper and it turned into fearful or discouraged. Lately, what I'm hearing from folks as I talk about their experience and where they are and who they are and what they're going through, I hear a lot of feelings that sound a lot like two that are kind of similar. One is resigned. I don't know if that's really the right word or not, but it's this feeling that, well, I, you know, I can't change it. I wanted to change it. I exercised control in a few areas of my life, and that didn't seem to get us anywhere that we needed to go. And so I'm just resigned now. And resigned often looks like in some of our lives a lot like passive. And those feelings of passivity is just, you know what, I'm just going to let life happen to me then. I'm just going to let things move on. Now, while we're engaging in so many things changing a bit more in the fall, whether it's school starting up or our hope that things are beginning to shift, we're going to take just a couple of weeks, and we just, for lack of a better title, we've called it How to Get Through a Pandemic, and this week and next week at the park, we're going to pull two chapters out of Scripture that speak really pointedly and thoughtfully, emotionally to our circumstances. And my hope is that you'll earmark these, that you'll underline a few things in your Bible or that you'll make a note in the app that you read in and that these will be passages that maybe you'll go back to and find some foundational cornerstones, if you will, that will help you adjust your mindset and your perspective about everything that we're experiencing. And here's what you can know for sure is that all of us long for some of these feelings to, to give way to, oh, maybe a little bit of normal. And we, we don't really even know what normal is anymore, do we? We have no idea. I mean, we drive around town, and then we drive past the theater, and on a Friday night, you know, the theater here in Castle Rock looked like, looks like an abandoned business. You walk into a restaurant that was normally bustling and you would see people you know and you would experience these things and now it feels like a bit of a ghost town, like it's some sort of weird holiday weekend and everybody left town. We would like some normal. You hope that when school would kick in, normal would happen. And some of us don't want to go back to normal. I mean, if normal means racial tension, we don't want that. We want justice and we want equality. If normal means that we go back to being busy and not being appreciative of the health that we have, 
or the people that we live in community with. We don't want that kind of normal, but we do want a little normal, don't we? And we want to be able to move forward in our lives and put aside some of these feelings of being either angry or weary or passive or resigned. Because in spite of all the things that we've experienced, God is still present and he is still about the business of reconciling and redeeming and making all things new. It just doesn't feel like it to us some days. Now, it could be that some of those feelings behind that word normal, you don't have it all. It could be that. For most of us, we have one or two or maybe all of them at some point or another. But now that we're several months in, it's a little bit like a boxer who's gone eight rounds. I mean, the first round, we have our shuffle and we have our spring and our step and we're good. We can handle it. But by the eighth round, man, we get weary quick. And if that's you, then maybe the chapter that we pull out of Scripture today in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 will give you some insight about how to move forward. So to remind you and give you a little context, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter, 2 Corinthians. By the time we get to chapter 4, he's dealing with some heavyweight issues for the, the church at Corinth. These are believers in the first century. And he begins to talk about how the two ideas of weakness and strength resurrection and death begin to fit together and it's almost as if he has watched 2020 unfold and he decided to write about it in ways that can help us figure out how to even move forward and the reason it caught my attention for us as we're thinking about how to get through a pandemic together is because of what he says in the very first verse of the chapter here's what he says therefore since God in his mercy has given us this, what does it say? New way. Just latch onto that. Don't let go of it. Remember that. That's not the key piece that we're talking about here at the beginning, but it's going to prove to be so important. Since God in his mercy has given us this new way, now say the last bit with me. You ready? We. It's a big deal. Have you felt like giving up? I mean, have you felt like saying, oh, God, you don't want to do this anymore? I mean, not give up, give up, but maybe try or work or build or love or forgive. In fact, just set aside the ideas of the pandemic. There's all kinds of reasons why we might find ourselves in a circumstance when we think, I just want to give up. I love the translation, but there's others that paint it even more thoughtfully. Here's a few that you'll see here. We never give up. We do not lose heart. We don't become discouraged. And we are not weary. I wish, I wish that these phrases describe me more fully. I wish they described my countenance or, or my mindset or my attitude. But the truth is, over the last several months, and I don't know that it's all that atypical for me when hard things happen, I do become weary. I get a little discouraged. I kind of lose heart. I don't know about give up, but I sure feel like it. Does that describe anything that you've experienced over the last six months? Or maybe 
just extended over the period of your lifetime. Because when Paul wrote this, they're not going through a pandemic. They're going through all kinds of persecution and difficulties and struggles. And the church is coming apart at the seams and it's filled with selfishness and division and all of those kinds of things. And when you begin to put all these pieces together, you realize that, well, our circumstances are unique, but the condition that we're in is really not all that different. It's just like them. Sometimes when I read some of Paul's words, I can think, oh, he's just such a glass half full guy. I don't know. I like being around glass half full people unless I am feeling weary or discouraged or I'm about to lose heart. Then I want to be around somebody that empathizes with me. Don't you? I mean, sometimes I read Paul's stuff and I'm like, oh, you're wearing me out. I can't believe it just feels like you're so optimistic. But Paul isn't being just optimistic right now. In fact, Paul with undeniable honesty and clarity, he sees things for how they are. And if we need anything during this time as perspective, when the clouds push in, when the darkness settles in, when it feels like there's no end in sight, what we need is perspective. And you, when you read this whole chapter, it's pretty obvious that, that Paul... While he has an optimistic outlook, it's warranted. And he can use that optimistic outlook only because he does take a deeply honest look at how things really are. In this chapter, he does it again and again. In fact, he says it this way. We've broken this up just so you can see how it's structured. But these are all the words that are in 2 Corinthians 4, 8, and 9 in the NIV. Paul says this, we are... Hard-pressed on every side. Maybe you felt that way. We are perplexed. Come on, you've read the same news stories I've read. Are you perplexed? We can't even decide if it's good to wear a mask or not. Are you perplexed? We are persecuted. In fact, they were. And often we feel the same way, and we are struck down. That's well, that's some writing that doesn't sound like it's coming from a guy who's always a glass half full. In fact, the best leaders that we know take an honest look at what's happening in our circumstances and they aren't afraid to call it the way they see it, even if it's bleak, even if it's dark, even if it's dismal. In fact, you and I both know the truth is this. We see it for how it is, don't we? Don't we appreciate somebody who can look at it and say, you know what, here's what's going on. Man, we are hard-pressed on every side. We're perplexed and persecuted and struck down. This is, this is hard. And when Paul writes this, I identify with it. I have felt those very same feelings. And yet he continues and he answers each one of these by saying very clearly, even though we're hard-pressed, we're not crushed. I mean, we may feel like it, but, but we're not crushed. We're not, I mean, we're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We haven't given up completely. We're persecuted, but we are not, what? Not abandoned. God is with us. Emmanuel, this is his promise. I will be with you. I will never leave you. We are struck down, but we are not, what? Not destroyed. The hope that we need in days like this is one that doesn't wear blinders or pretend like things aren't the way they are. What we need is a hope that is fully, fully informed, 
fully embraces what's going on and it looks the way it looks and we all see it from different perspectives but we know boy things things are good i mean we are hard pressed on every side but we are not destroyed now that key phrase that paul has in that first verse is is ones that is is the one that is key as we ponder how we're going to get through the epidemic of course, we can trust Paul because he says it how it is, and he tells us, sure, our back's up against the wall, but you don't have to be completely without hope. But Paul says, since in his mercy, God has given us this, actually, you remember two words, you remember what they were? New way. Say it with me, new way. Now, when I read this translation, the first time I read it, I thought, what does he mean by that? Some versions translate it ministry it means to serve but why does paul in the nlt why does it say new way what is this new way it's this new way that allows a follower of jesus me and like you if you are in fact a follower of jesus to find a path through difficulty and pain and struggle that does not leave you in a place of desolation and without hope. That's the new way. The old way was, I'll try to behave my way into God's good graces in hopes that he'll bless me. Read the Old Testament. That's the old way. The new way is different. What is this new way? Well, he's going to describe it. And it's all in this chapter. You follow along. And you can go back and read it. And these insights will come to you. Holy Spirit will bring them. Here's what he begins to say. But we have this treasure in, what, jars of clay. Anybody feel like a jar of clay? I feel like a jar of clay all the time. We joked about Josh going up and down the, uh, you know, the incline. We live close enough to the incline to walk to it. And so we'll hike over. And by the time we hike over, I look at the incline, and I think, not today. And so we'll walk back. And then we'll walk the next day, and I'll think, you know, maybe tomorrow. And then I'll, maybe next week. I'm tired. I didn't sleep very good. And then Donna says, you know, we're going up it today. And I say, you know, you are, and I'll walk around the track. And then maybe the next day I'll go up the incline. And I'm very, very, very aware that I, well, I'm not 30 anymore. I can't do what I used to do. I feel like a, if you ever feel like this, I feel like a jar of clay. I feel weak. I feel, feel frail. Can't do what I used to do. Do you understand that the body that you live in, in the way it was created, you bear God's image, that's true. But it's also of great theological importance that you age the way you age and that you experience physicality, the physicalness of your body and your life and your experience, the way you experience it. Paul ties it to an understanding of how God made us and what he's trying to do in us. This is why he says, why would he say this? Except for that it means something spiritually important to us. We have this treasure, God's presence, in jars of clay, and here is why. This is why you ache. This is why you get up and think, hmm, yeah, I think I'll go back to bed today. It is to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And in this verse, early on in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul is going to begin talking about two very seemingly opposing but not opposing ideas. One is that we are weak 
And the second, that God is strong. And he's going to repeat it time and time and time again. And there's a reason for that. He believes that it is the key to walking with God and experiencing the goodness that he wants to bring. That's what Paul believes. And Paul is so certain of it that you'll find it in every letter he writes in the New Testament. Every one. It is in spades in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, but you'll find it in every letter he writes. We are frail. God is strong. We can't, but God can. And he's going to say it over and over again. It's like he thinks that you and I are hard-headed. It's like he thinks that we need something repeated so often, something that we are tempted to forget. The very next verse, he says it this way. We always carry around in our body the what? This is not an appetizing thought. This is not an appealing thought. This is a thought that even people who have given their lives over to Jesus reject it. I mean, they would never say, I don't believe, 2 Corinthians 4. What they would say is, is that we're called to live a victorious life. And what they mean is, is that there shouldn't be pain or difficulty or struggle in this life. And that couldn't be further from the truth. In fact, Paul's idea of who God is means that there will be pain or struggle or difficulty in this life. And this is how he says it. We always carry around in our body the what? Say it with me. The death of Jesus. And we do that in this jar of clay so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Now, Paul's view of the world is summed up in this chapter and in these verses. And his belief was this. He sees suffering as a way that he can identify with who Jesus is. It's how he sees it. Now, most of our life will be about resisting that idea and maybe eventually surrendering to that idea. But in between, we find ourselves in a struggle with wanting what we want the way we want it and accepting how God is at work in our lives. And that describes almost every one of those what we would call negative emotions that were on the screen before that we felt over the last six months, you know, in pinpoint ways. Paul's belief was this, that when he suffers, he is somehow following in the way of Jesus and he is coming in contact with the life of Jesus in a way that nothing else can bring him to. This was his belief. It was his understanding and it's how he operated in his life. And so the scriptures say it this way, we always carry around in our body wherever I go, I'm going there, it's with me. I'm with you, it's with me. I'm at work, it's with me. I'm chatting with my neighbor, it's with me. I carry it in my body, the literal, physical experience of the death of Jesus. But there's a reason for it. When we do that, the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. The picture is abundantly clear. 
but it's not one that we want to accept. In fact, we resist it. So he goes on to say this. He's going to say it again, you know, because we're hard-headed. For we who are alive, again, this idea, we resist it so passionately. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. Why? So that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. Now, I know it's heady. That's a little deep. It's not something you spend a lot of time thinking about on Tuesday or Wednesday. But this is why Paul repeats it over and over and over again, just in this chapter. So we are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. And only then do we know and can we see that then his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So Paul would say this happens two ways. One is how we view suffering, how we see suffering, any suffering, you name it. When's the last time you suffered? Think about it, ponder it. Uh, maybe it would help if we took away this big word of suffering. When's the last time you were in a circumstance and you didn't want to be there? When's the last time somebody said something to you and you didn't want to hear it? Not the way they said it. When's the last time you didn't get what you wanted and it was right there in plain view? We can call that suffering for the sake of the gospel and the scripture and how we get through a pandemic. When's the last time you felt angry, weary, weak, passive, resigned? When's the last time these things boiled up within you and you did not like the circumstances you were in? This is suffering. Paul says that experience of suffering is a guaranteed path, if you'll accept it, to knowing who Jesus is and how he wants you to live. This is what sin is. It's what separation from God is. You remember what happened in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned? Death entered the picture. They were separated from God. This is suffering. What it's like to be a part of a jar of clay. When Donna and I were hiking up a path in Telluride last week and I stepped on a rock that I shouldn't have and my ankle went sideways and what I felt was, oh, it's a jar of clay. Oh, I'm going to limp on that for the rest of the day. Of course, this is what happens. This is what we experience. We are always being given over to death and yet we are filled with the immortal. Filled with the immortal. In fact, he, he finally says it this way. So, if this is true, death is at work in us, and he means us, but life is at work in you, and he means you. He means all. He doesn't just mean him and the people of Corinth. He means death is at work in each of us. We experience it. And life is at work in all of us. It, the things that would normally wound a follower of Jesus don't wound them because they accept it and receive it. The criticism that somebody gives to you that is meant to cut you and, and make you feel less than or like you're not important or like you don't matter, the, the follower of Jesus receives it and it bounces off. If it finds a mark and needs to find some improvement, that's good, but it doesn't necessarily lay us to waste like it would somebody whose ego is driving their life. Paul knows that death is at work 
in us, and life is at work as a result of that. What he means is, is that when I encounter you and, and we interact with one another, I want something of the life and death of Jesus in me so that we have something to give each other that is meaningful and helpful and full of hope. So Paul believes that as he sees suffering in this way, that what he has to give to the people at Corinth or what I might have to give to you could actually result in life. And you see this all the time, don't you? You have conversations that don't go anywhere, that feel like they're stilted, that are filled with, you know, somebody who's waiting to figure out when it's their turn to talk. And then you have other conversations where there's somebody else in the, in the conversation and, and they enter into that person's experience and, and do so in such a selfless way that they give life to it. So they've experienced death. I'm not important. My ego is set aside. And the result is life for somebody else. You've been there. You've seen it. You've even experienced it. This is exactly what Paul means. Suffering, death to self, is a way to give life. Here's what he means, and this might help give a different picture. The, the new way that he describes of, of following Jesus, well, it involves a few things that are a part of the path. In other words, Paul took it literal when Jesus said, follow me. And so when Jesus went down the path and he said to James and John, eventually in the book of Acts to Paul, follow me, then he expected that he would follow in the actual footsteps of Jesus, which included these things, among others, but let's make it simple for today. Surrender, suffering, death, and new life. Well, you know this already, don't you? I mean, you know the gospel story. If you've been around church a little bit, it involves surrender. Where did Jesus surrender? Well, of course, at the very beginning, but it's made very picturesque and, and really 3D graphically in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus says to his father, not my will, but what? But yours. Well, I surrender. I wish I didn't have to go to the cross, but I will. And so I want what I want, but I want what you want more. And so that's what surrender sounds like. Surrender looks like I would like to go the path that would be more comfortable, that doesn't involve nails or a cross or a crown of thorns. And God says, but the path is going to involve all of that. And Jesus says, I surrender. What follows surrender? Always, always suffering, always suffering. What follows suffering? Death. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you have to take up your cross every day cross, instrument of death. Ah, but what follows death? Say it with me. What follows death? New life. Always. The gospel so framed everything Paul believed that he believed this was an understanding of not just how things could work, but how things do work. Now, people who study population will tell us there's 7 billion people on the face of the planet. It will also tell us that there have been, throughout history, 107 billion people who have lived. That's a lot of people. There are two experiences among those four that are common and absolutely certain for all 107 billion people. Which two are they? Suffering and death. Those two are going to happen 
no matter what. Nobody gets out alive, do they? I know. Aren't you glad you came to church? It's a little depressing, isn't it? Nobody gets out without pain and struggle and hurt. There are two that are common with everyone who has lived and everyone that will ever live. But there are two others that are unique and that are at least the first chosen. And this one that is chosen, it frames the rest of the three. In fact, the one that is chosen guarantees that you'll experience the fourth. The one that is chosen means that everything else that follows it has meaning and significance and depth. Now, it might appear as if this is a linear process, and if you've lived more than 10 minutes, you know it's not, right? You know that you repeat this cycle over and over again, that surrender happens in layers over and over again, that there's no way to really get to the end of the line and think, well, now I'm done with all that surrender and suffering and death business. Now I can just experience new life. There are some believers that would want you to think that, it's not true. It's, it's a lie that is enticing. But of course, we'll believe any lie that would prevent us from going through surrender and suffering and death, wouldn't we? It's not true. All of these work in tandem. It is the new way. Remember the old way? I obey, God blesses me. Turns out I can't obey. I'm going to miss his blessings. Of course, there needed to be a new way. This is the new way that Paul describes. And when we live this way, when we have this understanding, it's this idea that's deeply embedded in the gospel, deeply embedded in 2 Corinthians 4, that helps us understand how to get through a divorce, a pandemic, cancer, loss, deep disappointment that you think you will never recover from. It's this path that gives life meaning and that helps you eventually find new life. And you know this already. What did Jesus say about a seed? Unless the seed falls to the ground and does what? It dies. It will never grow. This is true in every natural system that scientists can observe. This path is the one that we follow. And if you can get this down, you'll never get it down, right? This side of heaven, you'll struggle with this over and over and over again. But if you return to it, if you believe that the gospel is foundational to how you see life and how it works, if you yearn to move down this path, then the next piece that Paul gives us in this chapter is really easy to digest. He says this. So this is why we never give up. Great, perfect, great phrase. This is why you don't necessarily become completely overwhelmed and allow your weariness to dictate your decisions. This is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, he's going to do it again. Come on, Paul, you're repeating yourself again. How thick-headed are we? Our spirits are being what? Have you felt that way over the last several months? There's been a few days, hasn't there? They come in, surprise you. You're being renewed every day. And then he says this, for our, say these four words with me, present troubles are, say one more time, for our, present troubles are 
and they won't last very long. Now, when I read this in February, in early March, I thought, that's right, that's right. <laughs> in July, I thought, lies. Every, everything in there is a lie. Ah, uh, but it's still true. Yet they produce for us a glory that will vastly outweigh them all and will last forever. See, if, if you get this path, surrender, suffering, death, and new life, then you will have an eternal perspective because you believe that to the end of this path, we experience it in bits and pieces and fits and starts here, this side of heaven, but there is an eternal glory that will outweigh them all and it will last forever. And the only way you're going to be able to keep perspective through something that we're going through right now, whether it's the issues, equality and race, the pandemic, masks, the election, your person winning, your person losing, whatever it is, the only way you will maintain any perspective is to have an eternal perspective. And what will press in at any given moment will be this idea, the one I had last month, easy for him to say, our present troubles are small. If, if you are tempted to believe that your present troubles aren't small, then we have to go back to surrender again. We say it this way. Look, if suffering is the hurdle in that process, if suffering is the place where we get hung up, if when things aren't going well, that's where we get stuck and we say, God, where are you? You're absent. What's happening? You sleep at the wheels. You forget about us. You go off and start a new world because we were failing so badly. What's going on, God? What about my life? How come I got this diagnosis? All of these issues begin to press in. Financial woes, all of the stress that we feel. Look, if suffering is the hurdle where you get stuck and take your eyes off of who Jesus is, which has happened with approximately 107 billion people since the beginning of time, then you have to go back one step. Then you have to go back to surrender. Then you reframe your experience through surrender. It happens in layers over and over. If, if you got it the first time, you'd be Jesus, right? Over and over again layers. It's almost as if this side of heaven, this is the remedial course of life. I don't like the way it's going. I have to surrender again. I, I want to live life like this, but God's asking me to live it like this. If you're going to get through the toughest of circumstances, unprecedented times, then it requires opening your hands and allowing God to be at work and experiencing surrender again and praying the prayer of the garden. I want what I want. Well, today you don't get what you want. But I still want what I want. But not my will, but your will be done. Oh, there's so many potholes there, right? Is this what God really wants? Is this how he's expecting time to unfold? this experience that we're having, whatever it is that you're dealing with, if suffering is the hurdle, then you have to reframe your experience 
through surrender. One day at a time. It's almost as if we have to pay this lesson by pulling out a quarter out of our pocket every time until we can reach in, find the bottom of our pockets and turn them inside out and say, I have nothing. I have nothing left. And God says, now we can work. Do you trust me? No, but I have nowhere else to turn. So your will. Now, when we get to that place and we have this eternal perspective, this is how Paul describes it in the same chapter. He says this. So we fix our what? Not on what is. Now, I just stop there and say, just admit that makes no sense. Right? Makes no sense. Look at it again. So we fix our what? Not on what is, but on what is. Since what is seen is, but what is unseen is. With this perspective, with this understanding, you can endure anything. You can. With this foundational conviction, you have incredible capacity for endurance. You know what it's like when you believe it's almost over. You can do it. Don and I were hiking up to the bottom of Bridal Veil Falls. We hiked up. It's beautiful, amazing there. You know, near, uh, near Telluride, it's just gorgeous. Maybe you've been there. It's, it's a hard hike. I mean, it's like the incline times 10. I mean, it's a difficult hike. We're on our way down. We pass this gentleman who's, you know, we're off to the side. We're kind of giving him some distance. There's a girl right behind him. And I say right behind him, more like 100 feet, right? And he's going up with some energy, and she's not having it. She does not want to be there. And she says to us, how much further? And we say, oh, I'm thinking she's not going to like the answer. And so we say what everybody says when they're on their way down. It's not far. (laughs) It's not far. And then she says, I thought it wasn't far, but he keeps lying to me. (laughs) So she said, this is how you feel, right? In August of a pandemic. How much further? Well, when your perspective is eternal, it's always just around the corner, isn't it? Always. God is not lying to you. It's true. Our light and momentary troubles, ah, there is an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And so when we keep our eyes on what is not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, well, let me ask you, which of the things on this list are most easily seen? Ah, suffering. And death. Always. What's grabbing the headlines right now? Always. What makes the bigger headlines? Always. How hard is it to keep your eyes on what is unseen? You can see it if you look hard enough, but it would be surrender and new life. What would encourage you to keep going? 
What would encourage you to put one foot in front of the other? What would encourage you to realize that our circumstances, they sure are wacky, but God hasn't changed and he's with me and he will see me through this. He's a way maker. He leads us down a path. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen, it's eternal. Let's pray. Lord, we ask in this moment that you would give us a perspective that is true, that is real, that would never let us miss what's happening. Lord, we pray that you would give us the courage to surrender right now in this moment. So right now, if, if you're watching online, just you bow your heads and close your eyes. And here in this room, as we're all uh, entering into this moment of prayer, Lord, I pray that you would, through the power of your Holy Spirit, just speak to us in this, in this place and in the various places where we're gathered to worship. What is it that we need to surrender? Lord, we recognize that suffering is often on the far side of surrender. But our eyes are on the, the full culmination of this gospel idea that, of course, it leads us to death. Of course, we're in a jar of clay. Of course, we don't like some of our circumstances, but that it will eventually lead us to a place of new life, Or we believe that if your spirit would gently prompt us, we can at least decide whether or not to open our grasped fingers and surrender to you. So what is it? Or we believe that you know us intimately and that your Holy Spirit will guide us. And it may be something that comes to our minds later this day or even this week that we are to surrender. And our hope and our prayer is that we would willingly, quickly engage in a posture of surrender to you, open-handed, open-hearted, that you would lead us. Or we believe that this is your desire, that we would be in conversation like this with you every day, every moment of every day. We believe that you are the way maker and that you will lead us to this path and we're grateful for the new life that you have promised.